Hey, this is Paul Connor, pastor of City Baptist Church here in Vancouver. And I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast and just say thank you so much for joining us today. You know, it's our mission to help you find and follow Jesus. And we pray that the message encourages and inspires you today. Today's message is from our brand new series, Renew. And as we begin this new year together, we're going to be focusing in on Romans chapter 12 and discover the power that is found in renewing our hearts and minds through Jesus and his unchanging word. Let's get into today's message. To hear from God today, and I'm excited to share with you the final message of our series that we've been in for the last five weeks called Renew from Romans chapter 12. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn there with me? Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be today. Now, the last five weeks that we've been studying this uh, series here, we have seen some interesting things happen. There's been a progression that the Apostle Paul has revealed to us as at the very beginning of the chapter, verses one and two, we saw the Apostle Paul tell us and teach us what the surrendered life looks like. And he talked about how when we surrender our lives as a living sacrifice to God, as we completely give ourselves to him, uh, how there is something that happens then at that point where our mind begins to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And that's really where we wanna be as Christians. We wanna be surrendered and we want to be transformed by God. And what happens when we do that? When we uh, allow the work of God, by the way, it is only God who can do that work in you. When we allow God to do that work within us, what takes place is that we begin to love the things that he loves. And we saw that as we continued our series uh, throughout in verses three through eight, we saw that once we're surrendered and and being transformed, that we then uh, learn to love and to serve the body of Christ, love and serve the brothers and sisters that God has given to us, those that are part of the family of God. And we learned about spiritual giftedness and how we can exercise those gifts for the profit of the church family. And we talked about that uh, in uh, the earlier weeks. We also then learned about how we're to treat one another as Christians. You know, we're to, we're to treat each other in a special way as believers. We saw that in verses 9 through 17. And then last week, we started talking about how we as Christians respond to the world, how we begin to respond to those who uh, attack us from the outside, uh, those that are uh, not believers. And we saw how we're to bless the persecutor. You remember that from last week? We're to bless the persecutor. We also saw how we're to identify emotionally with people, how we are to rejoice and to weep in a genuine way, not a fake way, but a genuine way we are to be reaching out to those people as well. We saw how we need to be just careful and mind our manners. We need to be careful of the way that we uh, uh, live life. We need to be aware of our attitudes. We also should not think that we're better than somebody else. That's been a theme that we've seen throughout the passage, that that we don't think of ourselves uh, better than we are. And that's a challenge. That's hard. I get it. We, we all struggle with that. We struggle with thoughts that, you know, I, at least I'm not like that person, or at least I'm not uh, acting in that way. But God says, no, don't think yourself higher or better than anyone else. Now, each of these aspects that we've talked about, this list, if you want to call it that, this list that we've been uh, walking through of Christian behavior, and today is titled Christian Behavior Part Number Three, the list that he gave to us really is, is all the evidence of God's grace in our life. And that's what we need to understand. These are not things that you can somehow manufacture on your own, at least not for a long period of time. You might be able to manufacture it for a little bit, but eventually the truth is going to come out. These are all evidences of God's grace, ways that we can reveal to others that God is doing something in our life, that God has radically transformed us, and that we've been renewed as we sacrifice to Him. We're going to, we're learning how to live out that grace and reflect just a different approach to this world. I think you realize that this world that we live in has a pretty negative attitude. (laughs) I think you understand there's a lot of revenge uh, things in this world. People are trying to get out and to vindicate themselves, but yet God says, no, no, as Christians, we act differently. We respond differently to challenges. We even respond differently to those who are doing evil against us. 
I want to begin by reading today verse number 14 through 16 again, what we covered last week, and then we'll step into verse number 17, which is the first verse from today's message, all right? So let's begin in verse number uh, 14. It says, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. He then said, be of the same mind one toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. And then we come to verse number 17, where we're going to pick it up today as Paul continues this list. He says, recompense to no man, evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. As we get into our passage, I've divided up into three simple thoughts for us to understand today as we are again talking about our relationship to the unsaved world around us. And so point number one today, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. We need to accept evil. We need to accept evil. Look then again at verse 17. He says, recompense to no man, evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Now listen, Paul is reminding us that as Christians, we must live in acceptance of the fact that there is evil in this world. Don't misunderstand me. What I mean by this is not that, oh, we should just accept it like, oh yeah, this is great and make evil a part of our lives. No, no, not at all, okay? That's not at all what we're saying. What he's saying is that we need to live in acceptance of the fact that there is evil in this world. There is, uh, There are challenges. There is evil all around us and we have to be willing to accept the fact that evil is at some point gonna happen to you. Evil is going to come into your life. Now, the the hard fact of life is that everyone is mistreated. Everyone uh, goes goes through difficulties. Everyone has strong reactions against them that don't honor the Lord or reflect a Christian worldview, of course. And as a believer, we need to understand as well, we suffer in a unique level of evil or of mistreatment as well. Now, we suffer just like everybody else in this world, saved and unsaved, But as Christians, as believers, we will also suffer because we're a follower of Christ. Now you say, what are you talking about? I've never experienced. Let me, let me explain it to you this way. You know, if you are to be the kind of person who's going to strive to live a life of righteousness and of purity, if you are going to endeavor to live honestly and truthfully in this world, I think you understand that our world at some point is going to oppose that aspect. Any person that desires to live completely righteously and following the word of God is going to be opposed. And so what happens, in fact, is that as you live that way, as you attempt to live for God in this righteous way, somebody who's not a believer is going to oppose and maybe even abuse you in that sense. That's one example. Another example that we would understand is that if you're going to be a Christian that loves God and desires to live in righteousness, well, then you're going to have to give testimony at some point to the corruption of this world. At some point, you're going to have to tell them, like, listen, this world is corrupt, and you need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ and His righteousness, and you know what happens oftentimes, and you've maybe experienced this, that person will resist that. They'll oppose the message of Jesus Christ, and sometimes what they do is they take you trying to share Christ with them, and they turn it around, and you become the target of their attacks. Uh, Maybe that's been you. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe right right now you're thinking about somebody like that, that you've tried to honestly share truth with, and they've kind of turned on you because of that. And so we recognize that as Christians, there's an element of evil, there's an element of attack that comes uh, from a lost world. But the point is, is that we are not then to respond as the world responds to it. We are not to uh, then respond to that person who mistreated us by then mistreating them, or that person who did evil to us by us doing evil to them. See, the relationship, and and here's something that you can really narrow in on this thought right here. The relationship that you have with that person that's maybe turned on you because you've decided to live for Christ, the relationship that you have with that person is in the balance. And the reason and the way we know it's in the balance is because it's reflected upon how you respond in that moment. 
How you respond when that person who you are trying to share Christ with or trying to live a godly example before turns on you or begins to attack you in that way. Listen, if you respond in the wrong way, the likelihood is is that you may forfeit the opportunity to continue to influence them for the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it for a moment. How sad would it be if somebody, maybe you shared Christ with them and they turned on you and maybe slandered you to a coworker or to another family member, and then you in turn turned on them and did the same thing to them, slandered them, uh, complained about them to somebody else, uh, caused some sort of issue in their life. You know what you did at that point? Now that person, that unsaved person, that that non-Christian can say to others, guess what that Christian did to me? That Christian over there did this thing to me. And and what we've done is we've damaged that relationship and that uh, possibility of them uh, maybe even coming to Christ or, or being willing to have an open heart. There's so many people in this world who have been hurt by Christians, and they use that and they hold on to that because Satan's going to use that in their life to keep them from further pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so our response is so, so important. Our response is, is, has, can possibly make Jesus an unappealing Savior, if you think about it in that way. It really can. Well, as Christians, we respond in a different way. This is the opposite side, and this is what he's talking about here. It's about responding with good for evil. If that happens, what takes place is that we can maybe open the door for a further relationship or further friendship or giving testimony to God further on down the road. I think about what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He said, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, fleshly lusts, we understand, are things that are natural to us in our natural flesh. That would include things like retaliation and doing evil for evil. But then he says in verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Again, he's speaking about uh, Jews and being in, in, in a Gentile world. Typically, that was almost always against Christ. He says, uh, having your conversation, your life honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good work, uh, works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's such a powerful verse here. What is he saying? If our actions are honorable, if we live and we respond in the right way, even when hostile people are attacking us, it might end up that they will become uh, followers of Christ. It may be that they might end up praising God. You got to think about it. Peter's readers here were scattered among unbelieving Gentiles who were inclined. And as we know from other parts of scripture, they're inclined to spread lies uh, about the Christians. They would accuse them of wrongdoing. They would uh, blame them for things without cause. And Peter is saying here, don't be surprised when persecution and false uh, uh, accusations arise, but we must still strive to live above reproach so that those accusations uh, don't stick to us. So they don't have anything to really hold on to. You know, if you go ahead and turn on somebody, and even if the accusation is false, and you just go after them in that way, well, even if the accusation is false, they now have something against you. Well, he responded to me in that way. She came after me like that and totally did wrong. To respond with evil for evil is the natural sinful approach. The unnatural approach when we are mistreated, the spiritual response is to turn the other cheek. Or as this verse says here, to provide things honest in the sight of all men. Look back at verse 17. He says here, provide things honest in the sight of all men. What does that mean? The word provide there means to think before acting. It means to think before acting. And the idea is this, he's saying here, when evil is done against you, we are to think before we respond. We are to think, and I would say we should pray about our behavior. We should not just respond rash, uh, rashly or in the moment. We must take a moment and think about it. Why? So that we can respond in the right 
in the proper way. You know, you probably remember somebody saying, when you're angry, you need to stop and count to 10, you know, and breathe deeply. And that's true. I think you probably maybe need to count to 10 days, maybe, uh, in, in a situation like that and pray about it. Say, God, how do you want me to respond in this moment? I would say this, don't respond in the moment of it. Don't just lash out in that moment. You need to ask God for his help and for his grace and for his spirit to work and to give you uh, clarity in this. See, as Christians, we are to do the right and the noble thing, even if it doesn't feel good, even even if it doesn't go against or it feels like it's going against uh, our flesh. Man, so many times in my life, I've had people say to me, what were you thinking? (laughs) Maybe maybe that's you. Uh, I'll I'll be honest, it's me. Uh, Many, many, many times in my life, as a child, as an adult, what were you thinking? Guess what? Nobody ever says that to me when I make the right decision. That's one thing I've learned. You know, if I do some, you know, thing that honors God and is so great, nobody ever says, what were you thinking? No, no. They only say that when I mess up. They only say that when I uh, respond harshly or I, I, I react in the wrong way, when I make a fool of myself or I cause grief to somebody else. That's when they say, what were you thinking? And so the thing we need to remember is that when evil is done to us, then we need to think through our response. And for a reason, it is the honest and it is the noble and it is the right thing for us to do. In essence, what we are doing at that point, even though we're being mistreated, we are demonstrating uh, God's love to that person by turning the other cheek, as Jesus described. And he says here that we are to do it in the sight of all men. So even in a situation where our reputation may be tarnished, or it may be a public thing, a public accusation, maybe evil that's done to us in that way, we are still to respond in the proper way. I heard about a pastor in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, this is uh, probably 15 years ago or so, who demonstrated this, I think, in such a great way. And so this pastor was preaching, and I, I don't know if it was in the middle of the service or whatever, but he was down on the floor of his church, large church, many thousands of people, and he was praying with people, and people had come forward for prayer, and, and he was there, and he was talking, he was praying with people. It's all on video, and out of nowhere, this guy steps out from the front crowd there, and he punches the pastor in the face. Now think about that. <laughs> he just punches him right in the face. And then the pastor kind of falls back. He was an older guy. And the guy comes after him and grabs him and punches him again. Then after that, we see the security come in and they take this guy away and everything. And, and just right now, could you just put in the chat right now, say, Pastor, I'd never do that to you. Could you just put that? I think that would make me feel better right now. <laughs> I would never punch you in the face, Pastor. But imagine being in that situation. Now here's what's so amazing about it. This pastor who took two punches from this guy, You know what he did right after that? He got up on the platform and literally he had a cut on his eye and blood was coming down his face. And uh, he got up. If you just look up, pastor gets sucker punched. uh, (laughs) You'll find it on YouTube. Uh, Don't do it now. Just do it after the service. But he got up and he continued his sermon. And of course, everyone was all kind of shaken up and not sure what to do. But he got up and you know what he did? He forgave and he prayed for that man right there in that moment. Immediately. He He didn't wait. He prayed for him right there. And the church together prayed for him. And he didn't press any charges. And even though he had actually hit other people on the way out before he was subdued and the police came, um, they chose at that moment to have a public forgiveness of him and just say, you know what, we're going to pray for this guy. And they responded in the right way. Now, now here's what that did. This is, a, this is interesting. That situation, of course, got, the word got out about it. And so all of these news, uh, news reporters, news stations were calling. And this pastor had the opportunity to share the love of Christ with many thousands of people because of how he would respond it. I was sitting there and I was thinking about it. You know, in, in our heart, we think, man, if somebody did that to me, man, it'd be on, you know, in church. But I wonder if this pastor had just started wailing on this guy, you know? What if he had just taken the punch and then just started this brawl right there? I don't know that he would have the same opportunities to share Christ 
that he did and be able to say, listen, I, have, I was able to forgive this man who did this to me because Christ forgave me. I thought that was such a perfect example here of how his response led to a furthering testimony for Jesus Christ. You know, Paul here is doing what we have seen time and time again in this chapter, where he's taking what is normal, what maybe we would consider a natural response, and he's turning it around, and it becomes unusual, unnatural, and, uh, and where we think about our testimony and our response to evil rather than our response in the moment. But why would we expect it any other way? I mean, you guys know this. Why would we expect it any other way? Because throughout this study, what have we seen? We've seen him consistently bring up things that go against our sin nature, things that go against the natural response that we have uh, to the situations that we face. And we're able to do that because we have the Holy Spirit, because we are surrendered, because we are transformed. And, and there, therefore, we're able to uh, react in a different way so that Christ could be magnified in us. I realize that some of you right now are maybe going through a situation where you've been wronged. Evil has been done to you. And you've been staying awake and you've been plotting your revenge for weeks and weeks or days and maybe hours if it's recent. And you're planning how you're going to get back at that person. Maybe for some of you, you're the one in your family that's known as the one who reacts reacts just so strongly and so just out of control sometimes in situations when they feel that they've been wrong. Maybe some of you, I know, many of you have been through great trial and great difficulty in your life. And so you're very suspicious and you, you're very quick to respond. And if you even, even if you think or you suspect that someone is doing evil towards you, you cut them out, you shut them off, and you just, you just go full on attack mode. Listen, as Christians, we respond differently. We respond differently. I know you're saying, pastor, you don't know what I've been through. I, I don't know what you've been through. Guess what? You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what others have been through in our church. Yet, that's the great thing about God is he says, it's not, it's not about what you've been Think about the Apostle Paul for a moment who wrote this. If anyone had a reason to be angry at a lot of people and be distrustful of Jews, it would be the Apostle Paul. And yet we see him here teaching and saying to us, listen, you need to respond in a biblical, in the right way. Don't recompense, don't give back evil for evil. We need to learn from Jesus in this, and we need to evaluate our responses to the evil that we face in this life. Evil is going to happen to us. How we respond is what separates us through the grace of God to this world that we live in. And so first of all, in the passage, we see that we're to accept evil. And I think you understand what we mean by that by now. But second, we're to advance peace. Point number two today, we're to advance peace. I love this. In verse 18, he says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now we love this verse, don't we, as Christians? Uh, Not because of what it means, but because of what we think it means. We think it gives to us an out, right? We see that and all that we see is those first four words, if it be possible. And here's what we say, aha, it is not possible, right? It is not possible at all. Look at that. All right, I am free. I am good to go. If that's you, write in the chat. I see it, okay? I see it. I personally have uh, claim this verse for myself in certain situations. And we see that, but I think what we miss is the part that what lies in you. Notice that there. He says, as much as impossible, if it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Now there's some keys there. We, of course, know who lies within us. That is the Holy Spirit. We know that with God, all things are possible. We know that uh, God is in control of all things. But yet it says here, if it be 
possible. Now, I understand the sentiment that Paul is giving to us here. I don't think that he's giving us an out so that every little situation we can say, oh, that's not possible. That's not what he's saying here. You got to think about it for a minute. Paul is, is speaking in a, in, to a Roman culture that was strongly against and antagonistic and, and very specific in their evil towards believers. And, and we recognize that there are some people in life who are intentional troublemakers, people who are complainers, uh, dissenters. Uh, they love to fight. They love to, uh, be, um, to, to go against Christianity. They're self-centered. They're uh, image seekers. They're power builders. I wrote down a whole bunch of things that they are. They have no interest at all whatsoever in living in peace with the believer. But I do know this. I know that, that while there are people like that, they are the exception. They are not the rule. And if we could get behind what God is trying to teach us here in this passage, we'd realize that we often don't even take the first step towards being a peacemaker. So often we start with that first four words, if it be possible, it's not possible. Some little situation happens, it's not possible. We're not going to work it out. And we just walk away from it. He's saying here that, um, uh, that this should be something that is not a usual thing. It should be an exception when this happens. And so we've got to get behind what God is saying here and become peacemakers. I want to put this in a very, very simple way for us so we can understand it. If we are, here's what the idea is. We are to have peaceful relations as much as possible with unbelieving people, whether it's our family or our coworkers. Uh, and I want to emphasize that. This is talking about, we know that as Christians, we are to always work things out. As Christians, we're to always work things out. This is in context to those that do not know Christ. Okay, so for some of you that are thinking about a Christian person that, uh, that you're just, I'm totally done with them. Listen, you need to still strive for peace in that as well. But even an unbeliever, somebody who's attacking you, somebody who's going after you, we must strive for peaceful relationships at, at all costs. Now, at, in a perfect world, we would all live peacefully together. In a perfect world, we would all strive for peace together. But realistically, in an imperfect world, we realize that this is not necessarily always possible. Paul recognized here that many people, especially unsaved people, react uh, unreasonably to those that are trying to live the Christian life. Now, here's the deal, though. While you cannot uh, change what other people are saying, you cannot adjust uh, their attitude maybe towards you or their constant attacks, you are in control of your own side of the relationship. And regardless of how other people are responding, regardless of how other people are acting in that situation, you have the ability to control your side of the situation. Here's what he's saying if you just want to make it super simple. If the peace is going to be broken, let it be their responsibility, not yours. Does that make sense? If the peace is going to be broken, let it be their responsibility and not your fault for the peace being broken. As the light and the salt of the earth, we should do our best to live at peace with everybody. And most certainly, we are not to be the ones who are the cause of dissension in a relationship. We should practice what we preach, practice what we say, and trust in a God who can do all things, believing that he can bring peace to a situation as we approach it with humility and being led by the Holy Spirit of God. See, being a peacemaker, as Jesus described it in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 9, is developed in the process of sanctification. And as we are sanctified in him, uh, we are able to once again reveal Christ to the lost world that we are in. Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse 14 uh, encourages us to follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. We are to pursue peace with holiness, not just like, hey, you know, we need to work this thing out. No, with, with holiness, with walking in the spirit of God. 
Seeking peace is a powerful aspect of the Christian life and of our behavior, and it's something that we can practice within and without the church. We can point people to Christ through our actions. Well, our final behavior that we see here in Romans chapter 12 as we conclude our study today is thirdly here to avoid revenge. We're to accept evil, we're to advance peace, and then avoid revenge. You say, man, Paul is talking a lot about revenge and not repaying evil for evil. You are right. (laughs) He emphasizes it because it is something that we all struggle with. Look at verse number 19. He says, dearly beloved, that's a key phrase there, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay saith the Lord. Now, at first glance, it looks like he's saying here, uh, don't be an avenger, but just go ahead and be angry about it. No, no. He's talking about wrath. He's talking about the wrath of God here. So he says, don't avenge. Give that to the Lord. Give your anger to the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. I'll be honest with you. I've prayed this verse before and trusting that God is going to work out situations for his good, or for my good and for his glory through this. And the point here he's trying to get across to us is that, listen, we need to leave it up to God. Notice there, he said, dearly beloved, that is given to us as Christians. He's saying, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, you need to not avenge yourself. Now, it would be amazing if all men, uh, all mankind lived by this rule. That would be great, right? But the fact is, in a fallen, broken world, we're never going to be free from uh, uh, vengeance and people that are trying to find vengeance. However, the followers of Christ are given no choice here. Did you notice that? He didn't say all people. He just said, dearly beloved. So as Christians, we are not given a choice. Any person who follows God is to leave vengeance up to him. Vengeance or retribution or punishment belongs to God. It does not belong to us. We do not have the right as Christians to be the judge of somebody else, whether it's a private judgment that we have towards them or it's some sort of personal vengeance that we're trying to follow through. The right thing to do is to allow God to be the judge and allow him to execute the vengeance. And it is God's responsibility and it is God's alone, church. Scripture is clear. He says here, God will repay. God will be the one who executes uh, the vengeance. The day of his wrath is coming and it is inescapable. He's quoting here in part Deuteronomy 32 verse 35, where he says, to me belongeth vengeance. This is God speaking and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time for the day of their calamity is at hand and the things that shall come upon them make haste. As hard as it sounds, we must forget revenge. As hard as it sounds, we must forget it. We must forget trying to right the wrong that has been done to us. And instead, we must trust in God's justice. And that can be so hard. And I understand that because we so often want to put ourselves as the judge and the jury and the one who gives the sentence in the situation. We feel like we know better than God. We feel like God isn't doing enough for us. But yet the verse is so clear here. Leave it to God. He is righteous. And I promise you this, God will settle the situation far better than we ever could. See, our solution is to try to make us feel better and maybe we want to be vindicated or we want to uh, show others that, okay, what this person said was totally wrong, but that still would not be true justice, would it? God is the one who's going to work things out. Our role is clear in this. He says, leave it to me. But then he also gives us a little bit further instruction here in verse number 20. Look at this. So he says, "Don't vengeance is mine. And then he says, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. God desires the steps that we take would be that we replace vengeance with kindness. 
We replace vengeance with kindness. And then to go even so far as to meet the needs of the person who has done harm to us. The only action that we should take should be to be good and to treat those who have harmed us with great kindness. Now, this is hard. This is hard. No denying it. I'm the, I'm the first one to admit it. And we look for so many ways to get out of this, don't we? But here's the thing, church. God is watching. The Holy Spirit is prompting us. And when you follow through on what God gives to us, we will reap and you will reap in your life a harvest of joy if you would attempt and do good to those that hate you. Jesus emphasized it in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, where he said, but I say unto you, but I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. Listen, the governing principle to this is so clear in verse number 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's how he closes out the chapter. He sort of wraps it all up, this whole uh, section of instructions. He wraps it up and he says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Vengeance makes evil victorious in your life. Vengeance makes evil victorious in your life. If we take vengeance, then what we are doing is allowing evil to conquer us, something that we must never allow. And so how do we conquer evil? We conquer evil with good, by doing good, by showing good to those who have mistreated us and those that have abused us and those that have said slanderous things about us. This is exactly what Jesus patterned for us. Think about it, church. Jesus was always ready to do this, even to the cross. Now, I want to take a moment, and I want us to go to the cross for a second. And I want you to think about Jesus there as he was nailed, wrongfully accused, beaten, uh, standing, uh, hanging there in front of many, taking his last breaths. And what do we see during that time? We see Jesus doing good, even to those that mocked him in the moment. We see him praying and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I don't know how much good you can do towards those that are literally killing you in that moment. See, the cross for us represented the very highest manifestation of man's hatred towards God. The cross uh, represented the, the great amount of hatred, but at the same time, the cross represented the very highest manifestation of God's love towards those very men who hated him so much. When that soldier came and as he put that, that spear in the side of Jesus, that final killing blow that they desired to have, you got to think about it, the very spear that was stuck into his side out of hatred for who he was and what he represented and what he was trying to do, the same spear that pierced his side brought out the very blood that then saved. <laughs> the spear that the instrument of his death was what brought forth the blood that does save us, that was sa- could save that soldier who did that. Think about that amazing expression of God's love. I'm so thankful today that because of the example of Jesus in all of this, we can then pursue and live in the way that he desires for us to. Now, I realize it seems out of reach, doesn't it? It seems out of touch to us to live in this way, but we, we've got to be reminded what Paul said later on to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. He said, for I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. Now, he had just finished up talking about how he's not, he's not a, a law. He didn't have to be subject to the law, the idea of like following rules. And then this verse that we all know so well, he says, but I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, 
but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I wish we could just take uh, you know, the next 15, 20 minutes and just break this verse down because this is so key to what we're talking about here. He says, listen, because of Christ, because I have surrendered with him, that's a picture of being crucified with Christ. My flesh is crucified with him. He said, on the other side of that, I live. And not only do I live, but I live, uh, uh, but Christ liveth in me. And he says, the life I live, uh, I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is he saying here? He's saying, I am not living this Christian life uh, alone. I'm not trying to do this on my own. I'm not a law follower where I'm just doing all of these rules and then everything's going to work out okay. He's not saying that at all. He's, what he's saying here is that, listen, Jesus has come and abided within me through his spirit. And now because of that, I live a different life. I live a totally different life. See, God has given us this pattern here to follow these distinctively Christian behaviors and you don't have to do it on your own. You can do it through Christ who strengthens you. As you surrender, as you are crucified with him, and as you are transformed through him, through the power of God, you then can apply what we've learned in these last few passages. Man, it's, you know, I read this and today I think about vengeance and all these things. And I think I can't do this on my own and, and I can't do it on my own. It can only be done through Christ who strengthens me. And that's my encouragement for you this morning is that while we're talking about this, I'm sure, and I know whenever we talk about these kind of things, we think about those that have hurt us. This morning, as I was going through my message this morning in preparation again, just sort of reading it through, uh, God brought a few things, or, or I don't know if it's God, but my sinful flesh brought a few people and a few thoughts to my mind that, that really caused me to struggle in this. And I had to be refreshed in my renewal to not do evil for evil, but to do good to those that have an evil to me. It is not natural. It is unnatural. But that is what the Christian life is. That is what causes us to be different. That is what causes us to stand out and to have an impact in the society that we live in. And that's what God so desperately wants for us. Remember, Romans 12 is a transitional chapter. The first 11 verses we learn, or for 11 chapters, we learn about who God is and who we can be in Him. And then chapter 12 is that transition where we see now, okay, because of that, because of who you are in Christ, because of what Christ has done for you, you now can live in this way. It is possible for you to live in this way. And so these things that we're talking about these last six weeks are not impossible things for us. These are realities of the Christian life. These are Christian behaviors that God calls us to, but he doesn't just call us to do it. He also gives us the strength and he gives us the power to do it. And so let's be people who are not overcome by evil in this world. It's so easy to allow evil to overcome us, to fall into those old traps, but we must overcome evil with good. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We really appreciate you joining in. You know, if today's sermon was a help to you, we'd ask that you maybe take a moment and just give us a quick rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening. That really does help get the word out and for other people to find our content as well as connect into the word of God, which is really the most important thing to us. As well, we encourage you to, if you want any more information about City Baptist in Vancouver, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca or follow us on social media through Facebook and Instagram. Our prayer is that you would continue to walk and grow with Christ. And we love you and we pray for you. And we hope that you have a great rest of your day.